welcome to Best Worst Podcast, Episode 7. This is Doug. This is Jacob. And our host today is the Glenmorangie Kenta Rubin, uh, pork cask scotch whiskey from the Highlands. Aged uh, for 12 years. Exactly, actually matured. Cheers. Ching. Since it's Oscar time, we'll start by completely ignoring them. How's that sound? <laughs> uh, maybe we'll get to that later. But um, one of the things that we don't want to do in this podcast is just give a list of what's coming up each month and be the current events thing because you already for, know that yeah and we're not the best people to do it um so <laughs> we're not uh, watching the most current films what was the one we just watched uh Martin. sex madness from 1938 which we'll get to a bit <laughs> later uh, which does tie into current film but um one thing that um you know it's interesting is what what we happen to have both watched in the past month and mm. um i had just seen um saw a horror film over this weekend called legend of hell house and i had seen that you'd seen uh, the similar titled, although House different. of the Devil, Ty West, yeah, fancy. Um, and so I was like, oh, maybe we'll do a thing on uh, haunted houses or ghost movies. And then <laughs> I, asked, I asked you this, and you said in so many words, what did you say? Uh, horror's not really my thing. Um, and that, that, why am I watching House of the Devil by myself in the middle of the night? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I do know. I I, I saw Innkeepers at uh, at festival last year, and I really enjoyed it. But yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a big horror fan, um, as you found out. And when I was a kid, um, I watched you know a bunch of horror films, and I I found a few a few of them really freaked me out. Things like The Omen, uh, the Amityville Horror, the the original one, um, things like that. For whatever reason, really got into my skin and gave me some nightmares. Um, and there was another one that I can never remember. It was like some weird poltergeist. No, it was a post-apocalyptic kind of. Um, almost sort of zombie-ish, disease-ish film where there was a couple of people who had survived and they were sort of roaming around during the day trying to collect food. And, yeah. Anyway, that, that for, so I can't even remember the name of that, but that really kind of that got in my head for months. Um, How old were you? Uh, I probably would have been about 11, 12. That's the age, yeah. yeah. But uh, oddly, I have this kind of parallel thing with, with vampire films where I, I, I used to have a recurring nightmare regularly uh, throughout my childhood that went right up till I was in my early 20s. Um, but it, it morphed and changed, and that, that one was always involving vampires. It was a bit of a, you know, um, a sort of uh, cookie-cutter a plot every time, uh, essentially. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to get <laughs> fucked <you> up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm roaming around with with a best friend, and um, and vampires come to town, and so we take off, and we're hiding from them. And when I was younger, that's what happened. Um, and then eventually we get separated, and then later on we'd come back together near the end, and it'd be right near the end. Most people have been got, and we'd be hiding out somewhere, and then right near the end, he'd turn on me because he'd been got, and I didn't know it. And then I'd wake up just before I was right. bitten. Isn't that pretty much the plot of the thriller music video? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I had this nightmare over and over and over. Um, but as I got older, and I, it, it gave me a fascination with vampire films. So I, just, I for whatever reason, I instead of running away from them, I watched them, all of them. Um, and so I, I have this, this great abiding love now for vampire movies. Hence, I really love Let the Right One In. And I might let me in as well the remake, um, films like that. Not so big on Twilight, um, cheesy crap that ignores 
um, you know, most kind of vampire lore, if you want to call it that. I even read some, like, serious books on, on vampire mythology from lots of different cultures. Um, this doesn't sound like the description of somebody who's not a horror fan. That's uh, yeah. what I'm trying to reconcile it was myself a, it to. Was, it was a very specific fascination because of this recurring nightmare. But as I was saying, this nightmare, as I got older, it morphed, and I became more powerful in the, in the in the dreams so went from from being completely helpless and horrified to fighting back and gaining some skills or powers in my dreams as i got a little bit older and i would always lose until eventually there came a time where i actually in my dreams i won and and i started taking down some vampires and and then it got to the point the probably the, one of the last ones i had where i actually became a vampire myself but with a kind of a conscience, so I, I was picky about who I would go after, and then when I saw friends, I was like, oh no, we'll leave them, they're my friends. Yeah. It's really bizarre. So vampires, yes, but zombies, no? Uh, well, see, most modern horror I, I doesn't scare me at all, um, and hence why I was fascinated by the Ty West films, coming back to um, House of the Devil and the in- Innkeepers. Uh, anything from the 80s that was kind of going from either splatter or um, or sort of more visceral horror and scares doesn't scare me at all. It, it never seemed real. Um, I could cope with it. I, I didn't particularly enjoy it. Um, I, I'm like, I like a good visceral action film, and I like comedy horrors. Like, I love films like House... Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, Shaun of the Dead, love those ones. Um, but, you know, out-and-out out kind of splatter or, or the more recent kind of torture porn stuff, not really into that. Uh, what about, like, Suspiria? Have you seen or seen many of the Italian horror movies? No, not a great deal. That'll have to go on our list. Yeah, yeah, I'm keen to see some of those. Um, but, but some of, like, the B-grade stuff, like, you know, like the things we've seen at, at Marathon, like Burial Ground and what have you, because they're amusing. But I don't find those scary, but the, the cycle... <laughs> Burial Ground is not as... <laughs> Well, I don't know. Burial yeah, yeah, Ground yeah. is kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> well, the scariest thing is that little dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. no, it's more the edible complex than <laughs> yeah, the, the plot writing that's the scary. That the 14-year-old breastfeeder. Yeah, yeah. Who, oh, who yeah. looks like he's 30-something. Oh. Yeah. Um, but um, it's the slow burn horrors um, that really got me, the psychological ones that never showed much. from Like, from the 70s, there was a whole bunch of them that got made that were really sort of... Are you talking about like the Don't Look Now kind of, uh, Rosemary's Baby, those sorts yeah, of things? Yeah, yeah. Where, where it was all sort of suggested and slow build of tension and then something would happen you might not see the gory details but it was all left to your imagination that kind of stuff messed with me because I guess I imagined terrible stuff and hence I really connected in a bad this scares me way but I appreciate this is a really good horror um, with Ty West work yeah so when I saw the innkeepers I thought I mean it's not a perfect film but it was a film I really enjoyed and it's I was so tense after I came out of that screening, and so I thought, I've got to come back, see House of the Devil. But I knew that um, my partner wasn't going to watch it with me, and I decided that I didn't want to do it by myself at 1am, so I just waited for a night where I could watch it at 8 <laughs> <laughs> So I check it out. <laughs> I mean, go on. <laughs> and in the end, it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. I for me, it wasn't as scary as, as The Innkeepers, but I really enjoyed it. So for those of you who don't know, House of the Devil, it's a slow burn, very old school horror, what, made in 2007, I think? Somewhere um, around there, maybe 2008. Uh, which uh, set in the 80s, I think, around about the time of... of um, and, and I think it's prefigured sort of talking about this time where there was a, whole, a massive... Um, satanic Satanic panic. abuse panic stuff um, with all these um, sort of cultish stories going around. And I remember, I remember hearing some of that stuff when I was young. Mm. Um, 
And so I thought this could be kind of freaky scary. But it, it, although it was kind of classic horror stuff, that I, and, I, and I thought it was a really good film, it didn't quite scare me as much as I... Maybe at 2am it would have. <laughs> maybe sitting there by myself. <laughs> I just, it, For me, it's just the amazing slow burn of it. Yeah. And, and the fact that nothing happens for the first hour, but it, yeah. with one notable exception. Yeah. But it's all so captivating and it's um oh he, and, he knows how to build tension yeah and it it's, it, it eschews the um jump scares and yeah it, yeah there's no there's very few actual scares in that first hour but it's just this slow growing dread yeah that makes that movie so special and the, well we can give a basic kind of setup a, gir- yeah. a girl is is uh in um university uh and she uh is moving out of her college dorm or whatever it is um to take her own flat and she's got no money so she needs some work part-time work so she's applying for jobs and she puts her name up on board ends up getting a babysitting gig um or what which turns out to be something slightly different but it's at this remote house in the middle of nowhere um so here's your setup she goes to this house the family, uh, the couple that have employed her, are going out for the night and they leave her in this creepy old house by herself, well, except for the charge that she's looking after. Some of the lights don't work very well. I mean, it's dodgy. It's just, it's just a it's very big, dodgy vibe. Lots, it's big. There's yeah. multiple stories, um, lots of windows, creepy old taps. I mean, she there's a couple of scenes where she goes to use the water in the kitchen and she turns it on. You swear something nasty is going to come out of the out of the taps at some stage. And he, you know, and he and he, he just he restrains himself from doing that. But the tension's there the entire time. It's yeah, it's really well well put together. So one of the reasons I wanted to ask you about this whole mm. like you not being a horror fan in general, as I was recently, I said, what do you, what do you see? And I think in general, it's the only genre you may be outside of porn or something that if you say you're into, people are like. Really? Or, you know, that, that, that requires a justification, you know? If you say you're into even even action or sci-fi, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, sci-fi, I get that, you know, it may not be yeah. my thing, you know, but nobody says, you're into romantic comedies? Really? What do you know? Yeah. Um, what, about, or, what about fantasy? Oh, that's true. Fantasy is a bit of a dark horse. It's, it's um, become a bit, of, a bit more of mainstream nowadays. Yeah, well, thanks to Game of Thrones, yeah. uh, especially. Uh, just to give some of my backstory, I mean, when I was 10 or 11, I watched Poltergeist, and it ruined me for horror movies for a good decade. I mean, I was traumatized by that movie. I would take <laughs> running jumps into beds for years. I would not go to sleep unless the closet was closed. And I still oh can't, yeah, man, I can't, I can't have open doors. Not I even still now. I still can't watch it. Um, I've actually I bought the DVD a couple months ago, and a couple of friends I think we're going to do a just do a binge of all the movies that have traumatized us. One of my best friends uh, <laughs> can't watch American Werewolf in London. Oh wow, which is is. Uh, to me, having only seen it as an adult, it's, you know, a cracking horror comedy that's, yeah, yeah. you know, such fun. It's like, how could you really react to that? And I'm hoping that when I return to Poltergeist, it's just like, wow, that was what you were worked up over yeah, yeah. all this time. But it just um, was so intense. And then when I started getting serious about film in my early 20s, I think I probably had a similar sort of elitist reaction to horror, where I was, you know, busy watching my Bergman and my Brisson <laughs> and my Kurosawa. And it was like, you know, that was that corner of the video store where uh, all people cared about was splattery kills and you know <laughs> all the movies looked the same you know with the black cover and some slightly different version of face you didn't paint. have a bergman and an argento and you know hand in hand well <laughs> uh, what happened was um i was on a mobius home video forum which is a web group and um one of the guys on on there um uh they had a separate horror forum which i kind of peeked in from time to time because there'd be these other intelligent discussions like 
these guys seem smart. They like horror, but horror is horrible and evil. So what's the deal? And <laughs> eventually one of them sent me Night, Night of the Living Dead. Oh, um, yeah. And so I sat down and watched Night of the Living Dead, which blew my mind, um, especially at the end where, I mean, obviously a lot's been made now of the casting of a black man is in that film. And, mm. you know, and you can read a lot of social undercurrents into that that were, may or may not have been intended. Ramirez always said he cast the best actor he knew as the lead and he happened yeah. to be black but a happy accident or what have you there's it's a it's a good gateway film and i yeah. and um and then from there um they recommended some mario baba films and a fair few of them are relatively bloodless and kill baby kill which is a strange film which has lots of crazy zoom lenses in it <laughs> uh, but it's a very expressionist style and so it got me really interested in the genre as this sort of thing that had so much within these sort of circumscribed rules of, you know, there has to be something that creates terror and there has yeah. to be these threat and, and all this. There's actually a lot of room to play, you know? Um, and I think um, House of the Devil is a good example in the sense that my counterpart movie, having just watched The Legend of Hell House, yeah. which is also a haunted house movie of sorts. I mean, House of the Devil is not exactly a haunted house, house movie, no, but, but it's 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 a house where there's a yeah, the, connection to, without giving mu- too much away, the darker side. Yeah, and, and it's a it's, a lot of the tension comes from from the physical space mm. and from the isolation yeah. and, and the and the relative silence in the place and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Whereas the Legend of Hell House is um, heavy on the talking, heavy on the um, basically the setup. Um, I think it's a British film from 1972, oh, yeah. and um, this guy's come in possession of this house, and he sends in um, a mental medium, a physical medium, and a researcher at the university who researches parapsychology using scientific <laughs> instruments oh, cool. and his wife comes along and um and the um ronnie mcdowell plays the uh, physical medium uh-huh. um the difference between a physical medium and the mental medium is the mental medium would be able to you know speak in tongues and all of that stuff but the physical medium would actually manifest the energy of the house or the the spirits around him you know the cracking glasses or you know that sort of thing so just as an aside does ronnie mcdowell have a bit of a did he have a bit of a line and and kind of uh, kind of kitschy horror films? Uh, I don't I don't know his um, filmography well enough, and our internet's dead right now, so we're not going to take that. <laughs> right. But um, he certainly. Um, I'm just thinking of Fright, Fright Night and what have you. Oh right, true. Um, yeah, I think a lot of those actors, you know, that was often the the work that was going for older actors. You know, yeah. they weren't going to be action leads and they weren't going to be romantic leads. Um, but you know, there's a lot of room for interesting older actors and. In horror films, often, mm. um, you know, if you're not making a film about thirteen um, teenagers getting their throats slit in uh, summer camp, then you know <laughs> that's a thing unto itself. But um, with yeah, Legend of Hell House, um, it's just this very mannered British, um, claustrophobic, um, you know, these personalities fighting against each other and something's very clearly supernatural and screwed up from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, and you don't know what's going to happen and, uh, the screws just keep turning and it's, it's a fantastic film and a very different, um, kind of Mm. being in a horror, you know, (laughs) in a house and bad things happening. Um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe for people who aren't into the genre, it's all kind of like, uh, it's just horror 
and it, you know, it's just like that one kind of note. But I think it's like been one of the joys of my last decade of film watching is getting into it and realizing, you know, that you have everything from like a tale of two sisters, you know, like the beautiful Korean film, which is just sumptuously photographed. And at the same time, you know, this very eerie dread, um, you have, you know, movies like Rosemary's Baby or Don't Look Now. Yeah, you yeah. have um, the Dario Argento films, which are much bloodier and much more difficult to watch. But at the same time, um, still um, sumptuously production designed and photographed. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and so I think it's that flexibility that... And and also, you you have to have a level of artistry for it to work. Yeah, the because it looks you can, terrible. Yeah. yeah, because you can you can have a drama and you know, it can coast on the performances even if the camera works kind of functional. Yeah. But um you know, you you can't have a horror movie where you don't have that without unless it gets, you know, really bad, in which case it becomes interesting in another way yeah, and yeah. you get your you know, your troll twos and your burial grounds and your killing sprees <laughs> and those become, you know, interesting in and of themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe, no, I'd still say I'm probably horrors low on my, on my list of preferred viewing. But like I said, I mean, I, I went out of my way to watch house of the devil after having seen the innkeepers and clearly I, the innkeepers made my cut, um, uh, for festival last year, which is if you if you see my list starts off at around about eighty films I must see, and then goes <laughs> down from there. And if I'm really lucky, it sort of peaks at about forty or something. I think I did thirty five last year or forty mm-hmm. something like that. I can't remember. Um, yeah, so so yeah, it's it's not right up there, but there are certain ones that I that that I connect with, and some some like. Some things I just like I said I don't really sort of think of as as horror like some of the old splatter films like I think of um, Peter Jackson's old old films like the, the Bad Taste, uh, Brain Dead, all that kind of stuff which would yeah. be classics in some of the in a in a vein of a, a loose vein of, of of the broad horror film um, genre I guess but um, for me that doesn't I don't I I don't get any horror out of that. Well, the line from like. Um but I enjoy don't, it. Yeah, the, yeah. The, say the line from Don't Look Now and Rosemary's Baby yeah. to Martha Marcy May Marlene, which yeah. you know we talked about last time, and it's oh, one we, of your favorite films. Yeah, and Sean Durkin last had, year. had said that Rosemary's Baby was quite a, um, a factor in terms of his um, sort of thinking around that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's... Um, it's it's. I, I mean, I guess I'm not saying, oh, you need to be more of a horror fan, but I, <laughs> I, 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 think, it, I think it is... Um, I think there's just so much different kind of individual yeah. work being there. Well, that, maybe maybe know. in my head I've defined horror too narrowly, and so I have a specific sort of set of films that I think Freddy and Jason and Leatherface, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff yeah. from, from my child, from my teen years, that I kind of go, this is what counted as horror in, in my as popular horror in my day, um, and I just wasn't into it. But you know what? Um, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of those films, but um, a film that I think is a masterclass in filmmaking is the original Halloween, um, which you go back and look at just the photography of that. I mean, I haven't seen that in a very long time and I really don't remember a lot about it. 
John Carpenter and what he does with Steadicam in a 2.35 to 1 frame, it's just stunning in that movie. And it it's actually a film school and how to use that frame oh, yeah. and how to create suspense. I mean, you know, some of the some of the performances, a bit ropey, the script yeah. is pretty threadbare, but it's a it's a really real illustration of how the directorial art can elevate some pretty you know average m- components. Yeah, 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 and and really make them a lot greater than the sum of their parts. Hmm. So, yeah. Well, I mean yeah. point a few in my direction and, and Yeah, well uh, well maybe maybe yeah, we'll we'll I'll make you watch Suspiria for next time and let's And I'll make you watch social realist film. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch Tyrannosaur, you watch Hesperia, and <laughs> yeah, we'll see yeah, yeah. Who, uh, who wants to kill each other next time. Um, should we go from death to sex? Why not? <laughs> so, um, we've watched one film together, uh, well, two films together now since the last record, but one <laughs> one last week, which is in theaters right now. Yep, shame. Um, the new uh, Steve McQueen, which always feels weird to say that. Yeah. Um, uh, Steve McQueen, Fassbender, Michael Fassbender collaboration. Um, Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, their last one being uh, Hunger. Have you um, seen Hunger? I yes, can't remember. I have. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, which I really liked. Um, which was the the kind of the biopic. Well, kind of biopic about um, uh, Irish. Um, IRA prisoner Bobby Sands and hunger striking. Um, so takes his, his stand in prison and then his hunger striking to death, um, which was fantastically shot. Um, it's a visionary a, film. A very spare kind of a kind of um, style, but at the same time, yeah, there's something about the way that uh, that he shoots and frames and draws you into. What I loved about Hunger is there's a physicality yeah, about yeah. Hunger. Oh, and, yeah. and, and, and I would say the same thing about Shame, that he t- he reminds me in some ways of the Dardens in that they focus on physical bodies quite a bit, um, and they have a real sort of thing about about following uh, physical movement. There's um, a couple classic fo- Dardenne head follow shots in this movie. Yeah, I think everybody should be required to take a year off from those follow shots at this point. But I'm getting ahead, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. So yeah, I'd agree with you that Hunger is a great film. I had some qualms in the third act when you know the with some of the bird photography and stuff seemed a little <laughs> cheesy, but um, just stunning. And and the combination of sort of the abstraction of the first third of the film yeah. with the um, stunning single take dialogue sequence yeah. um, between Bobby Sands and a priest, and in, a priest in the yeah. middle of it um, you know made it clear that you know he's a filmmaker with a lot of different talents I've seen I was lucky enough to see one of his short or two of his short films actually in Venice okay. um, just by accident um, they were I went happened to go to Venice for the Biennale and they were playing um, and there's a film called Gravesend and uh, it was a loop installation, and the idea was that it followed the mining of this material from Africa to uh, its shipping to its delivery in, man- in the use of manufacturing uh, guidance systems for warheads. Oh, yeah. And so the um, African footage was very ropey and handheld, and yeah. um, by the time it got to the um, clean rooms where it was being manufactured... Um, everything was very clinical and 
precise. And so it was, you know, it's clear he's a filmmaker who is thinking about form, and obviously yeah. he's somebody who comes from this art background yeah, as well. Just, I mean, yeah, he won the Turner a, Prize. Um, uh, yeah, for those who who don't know Steve McQueen's background is as as a artist working in the video medium, um, as opposed to I guess a classic what you think of as filmmaker. Yeah. yeah. Well, and other mediums too. I think he's um, he did a, a some visual art that involved stamps that were yeah, the, yeah. of non traditional. Well, yeah, most artists figures. who are primarily artists, I think, tend to sort of cross um, forms somewhat. Yeah, I think I think, I think it varies from yeah. like you know if some experimental filmmakers, you know, that's their medium, and yeah. then some people work across mediums and you know be it yeah. you know the steve mcqueen's or miranda july's or what yeah have yeah you. so um so all of that's a big prelude to talking about uh shame shame um no shame for michael fassbender <laughs> yes yeah, so, so shame is a film about michael fassbender who is works in some i don't think i ever quite explained financial sector money making uh, maybe thing in marketing new york or, or it's, it's, yeah. it's unclear um and he's in a he, corporate job in new york yeah and yeah. he makes a lot of money and he has a lot of uh cheap and meaningless sex and one day his sister um who he's been town. ignoring rolls into town and complications ensue yeah yeah so <laughs> it's are we, we gonna spoil this a bit and, well, um, not not, not, to, not as much as the rating plot. spoils it. Yeah, yeah. Not in terms of plot points, but more of the kind of the setup. I'm sort of thinking. So, yeah, I, well, shame. I, I mean, if you want to know what it's about, it, he's a he's it's a it's a story about a sex addict. Yeah. Um, and I mean that that's not a spoiler, and that it comes out right from the get go. You see uh, the opening sequences. Yeah. Is a is you know, a lot of Michael Fassbender. Um, <laughs> and and a lot of uh, he he is never going to want for a date for the rest of his life, <laughs> and a lot of other people. But uh, I think I saw someone's comment on Twitter, which I agreed with. Although oh, no, it might have been in a review actually, um, uh, who ended up not or, or being a bit disappointed with the film, um, but sort of saying that one of the things that he does is that um, he really does strip the film of any kind of sense of titillation so although there is um it's a very clinical detached sort of sort of style of of presenting um this guy's uh addiction obsession um so he's he's you know he just ends up looking sad and desperate a lot of the time um and it really is an unappealing character um a guy who really can't cope with intimacy on any level and then when he attempts his attempts at intimacy fail because he has no idea even how how to socially connect with someone that in a way that's sort of moving outside of trying to get to the bedroom yeah um and but but conversely he's very successful in that i mean he's yeah. a very functional like like yeah, there's yeah. a great one i think my favorite scene in the movie is um yeah he's, his, he's by no means a social misfit yeah it? yeah uh, one of his one of his co-workers tries to go seduce um this this lady and comes up and gives this awkward you know horrible pickup line right. kind of scene and then he just sort of edges in behind and he's overconfident um, and awful and yeah. yeah yeah the other guy is and fassbender comes in and just 
um, Brendan, I think it's the na- character's name, and just... Quite confidence. Um, and- yeah, well, it doesn't even try, really, and you don't even necessarily immediately Smoldering get that looks. he's trying to. It's just like, you know, they're playing this stupid game of, like, oh, what color are my eyes? You know, they've closed their eyes, and he doesn't re- remember, and then they ask Fassbender, he's like, oh, they're blue, or whatever, and it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, yeah, you need... And it's just like... That that's that quiet intensity and yeah you know, um and it, yeah intensity is is a good descriptor yeah really. I mean so Fassbender's performance is amazing and I think we both agree on that yeah uh, he um, he plays tightly coiled the entire way uh, and at the start it's it's tightly controlled uh and that his <laughs> his apartment his life everything is tightly controlled except for obviously he's overstepping some bounds has some things at work that go wrong. Uh, but, you know, because his boss kind of, in some ways, idolises him, um, <laughs> uh, he, he kind of gets away with it. Yeah, but like you say, when his sister rolls into town, things start spiralling out of control. A- and he doesn't... It gets in the way of his working out his addiction because I guess he feels kind of uncomfortable, highly uncomfortable and awkward around her. And so he suddenly... He can't indulge. He can't just like bring a prostitute home or, or, or bring stacks of ladies home because his sister's there, um, and then she's um, occupying space in the house. She's in the kitchen. She's in his bedroom. She's in the bathroom, and and, and he's well. There's something really uncomfortable and unclear about that relationship, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and deliberately unclear. Which yep. I I have really mixed feelings about that writing directorial decision. I I, I thought that was quite quite. Uh, a good and, and, and a strong way of, of presenting that relationship as quite unclear because it, it just it, it compounded his um, his sense of helplessness and frustration um, because you had no idea you, you, it felt like he was teetering on the edge of of God knows what um, you know self-loathing violence possibly more right um Except that it may it may not have been, but 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 it, it just it lent an edge to his to his tension, and to the tension that Fassbender was bringing out that I think might have been lacking if if if, if you, you had it was yeah, like yeah. oh they were abused as yeah, a kid or yeah. or he had done something to her he, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe I mean I mean I, I guess let's because you 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 reacted quite strongly to this film right ah uh, yeah I I found it um. I found it incredibly harrowing in in many ways. Um, I I found Fassbender's character just incredibly sad and and a lot of um, the scenes... Like, they inject a bit of humour into it, but it's very bittersweet humour and short-lived, for me anyway. Um, And I tend not to respond to awkwardness and things with laughter. Um, and whereas I, I find myself often in screenings with people who seem to be laughing at the most inappropriate places. I'm pretty sure I laughed more than you did. Did that yeah. piss you off? Uh, no. <laughs> Maybe. You're, oh, come I, on. I think I was pretty zoned in. Okay. It, it was, it's more, and it's more general. Like when there's a, 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 a huge audience kind of set of laughter that kind of makes me go, why is everyone laughing here? Um, particularly when you go, this is, I mean, this is a slight, this is an uncomfortable situation, but it's not funny when you look at just how messed up and awful this guy situation is, it's it's just it's it's pathetically sad, you know. And and I think I think he painted that 
quite strongly, and and Fassbender's performance was so kind of there that I I I found it quite affecting. Hmm. Well, here okay, so here's my ar- argument for that reaction um, is that in order to maybe not laugh and see the emotional side of that, you have to have that character relation, right? Because if if you're feeling that connection to that yeah, character, yeah. you won't laugh. And I was out of this movie probably two minutes into it and never got that relation. And all due, all due respect to the performances, all due respect to the photography, yeah. but to be honest, it was the score initially that just... Um, I mean, we're, we're maybe 60 seconds into the movie and we see Fassbender on the subway looking at somebody and it sounds like we're listening to the score from Schindler's List. You know? <laughs> and, and the film's called Shame and, the, and, and, and it was just so heavy-handed and judgmental out of the box that, yeah, yeah. that, in, that in turn made me feel like the screenplay was just like sex is bad and we are going to show you why it's bad um and and that's not a generous reading of the film and i do think that everybody involved had more nuance mm. and intention in that but i think at some point just um that that sense just overwhelmed me to the point that it was like yeah, I just wanted to push back at the film. Like, let me fi- figure out how I feel for myself about this without, like, yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, I mean, if it had been, ca- I don't, if it had been called Brendan, if it had a different score, and if it just played, you know, because hunger is a very, you know, I mean, obviously, it's like he's feeling hunger because he's hungry because it's on a hunger strike. Right, yeah. It's a very non-judgmental mm. sort of thing, and uh, obviously, you know, shame it gets into. A prescriptively judgmental, even if it's his internal state. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and is it saying, "Oh, is this something he should be ashamed about? This addiction to sex, pornography." Um, it's at some point he has a house cleaning where he has like the world's largest collection of everything. He's throwing out condoms. I think at one point he's throwing out <laughs> sex toys. He's throwing out magazines, VHS tapes. I think were in there. <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I was expecting the laser discs to come flying But also, um, this might be a good time to slightly detour. Uh, the other movie that we've... We just watched a film called Sex Madness, which I think is also a great alternate <laughs> title for shame. But I'd, I'd watched two other um, titles from this uh, Exploitation Madness box that I'd had around um, just prior to that, which is uh, Damaged Lives, which is a movie about the horrors of uh, syphilis uh, in 1938 and uh, you know which involves like long walks down hallways pointing at various people who are ridden with syphilis in different ways and all the reasons that that's bad and then uh, Reefer Madness where we learn that you know as is well known by everybody marijuana continue into a homicidal maniac Um, and so those films were on my mind when I watched Shame as well which again is a funny thing to bring into it but it is this kind of like judgmental thing and then watching sex madness again what it really brought into relief is this actual thread that extends from 1938 to 2011 but has all of these data points in between of movies where sex is bad and destroys oh yeah things and yeah. you know we could just go, i mean you could go on 
for ages, you know, and at, everything from Anatomy of Hell to Breaking the yeah. Waves to... Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely... Uh, uh, I'd agree with you in some respects in that I think I felt that some of it was a bit heavy-handed. I, I didn't pick up on the score so much, but certainly I thought... Oh, well, the, the portrayal of the level of, of activity in his life and, and around certain things I thought yeah. was probably not as bad or heavy as it might have been to call yeah. this a really nasty crippling addiction or whatever. But I think I think I would push back on the sex is bad thing and that you can you can definitely read you could read that out of this, but I think for me they were specifically looking at the situation of a sex addict, whatever that means, and however that looks for someone. So, not necessarily generalising about sex and this is its implications, and this is the um, the you know there's some sort of causal relationship between someone who likes a lot of sex or porn or whatever, yeah. um, but rather this is someone for whom sex is used as an addictive or, or it becomes an an addictive habit which is unhealthy for them. And so for him, you could you could see that in his work situation, things had gotten out of control. You you know, if you, if you could liken it to, say, um, alcohol or whatever, if someone yeah. has... Getting caught with a bottle. Yeah, or, has, yeah, has multiple bottles stuck in their drawer at work and they're just taking it out at random times, you know, during the day, you've got an issue, you know? And so this was a person f- who had an issue that was negatively impacting on his life and well i wouldn't say that 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 this addiction had caused his intimacy issues but perhaps intimacy issues had led to his using sex in this way or or sex being played out in his life in this way so i I don't think um his situation was prescriptive so much as sort of an at times heavy-handed investigation of someone for whom sex had become this very negative thing not to say that casual sex necessarily means a lack of intimacy or ability to experience intimacy. I mean, I can see how you could read that, but I don't think that's what they're trying to put out. I know that I've got my point Floyd out on my podium on it. I'm kind of Mm. banging on the uh, table a bit much. And maybe I am blaming this film a bit slightly for a legacy of other (laughs) films and and carries with it. But it it does seem part and parcel of... (laughs) A weird damage license. <laughs> well, well, but not just those films of a yeah, hey, yeah. we're go- we're going to show you breasts and we're going to show you all this stuff, but it's bad, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and there is, I mean, less tango in Paris and in the realm of the senses, and I mean, you can go on and on through all these films over time where it's like, um, that you know. We're, we're going to portray this erotic stuff, and we're deliberately portraying it erotically to get you into the theater. Antichrist, another sex sequels death film, or, you know, is otherwise screwed up. I, and it's just that Shame is the 158th film yeah, to take yeah. that polemical view isn't, you know, doesn't mean I should hate it any less than the 157th or the 159th. I think I probably am being a little ungenerous yeah, towards well, well, it. Yeah, well, see, um, even the use of the word polemical there, I, I, like, I mean, to me, that that suggests that the film is trying to make a statement on sex, where I think it's trying to make a statement on a person's situation, for which sex is an example. Like, even if you look at, at, the, um, at the scenes in the film, say, 
where he goes to hook up with someone which is supposed to be more of an intimate thing yeah uh, and it you know it doesn't work out because he can't deal with it but that isn't saying just because that didn't work out for him it isn't saying that that's that that's a, a situation where sex isn't isn't going to be negative and it's not negative for the other person but even even with that pick up in the bar right near the uh, start with the boss where the boss fails that woman and then he goes he takes her back to his place or where whatever his tunnel uh, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. this is part of his addiction addictive habit that is unhealthy in his life but it's not to for me i wouldn't take it that that was a negative experience for her the sex in itself is not the negative quality there for him it's the outworking of an addicted an addiction that is negative in his life but it's not but well, it's, see, I, it's I the cloud of, it's the cloud of shame hanging over the whole thing and i mean that quite literally in terms yeah but of the unit. shame is for him because is it yeah i think so and, and inherent awkwardness and, and, and yeah but uh, for his sister um i mean he he has real issues with his sister and he's quite judgmental with her but because yeah. that's because he's working through this whole crap of his own issues that he can't deal with for her she is having relationship issues outside of any kind of sex thing you know, yeah. you you can. I, I mean, I guess you could argue that um, they set up her one sexual experience with someone that you've had a negative portrait of. Um, so you've then well, and, but, and but, her and the way that unfolds without trying to spoil too much is yeah. also like quite negative as well. That's not. It's not like she's having a healthy relationship. Yeah, but, yeah, but in, in a sense that, um, like, I wouldn't see that as a negative thing. Like, I for, to me in that situation, he Fassbender, her brother, overreacted. Um, but he overacted because he couldn't deal with his own situation. Because he had this addiction behaviour, stuff was happening, like sexual activity was ha- happening in his house that wasn't involved, and he he had, but I, he had an addictive need to have to state his own sort of um, sexual desire, um, but he couldn't. I guess I'm talking about how that unfolds, though, as the um, movie goes on. What that sex leads oh, to yeah, for yeah, that yeah. character is yeah, yeah. bad. You know, obvi- obviously, you know, she may have had that one fulfilling moment but you know i mean I, I think i told you i just kept imagining morgan freeman's voice coming out of the thing. it's like if we've learned anything about sex madness it's that it destroys lives <laughs> you know, and, and again i i know i'm being ungenerous and and maybe we, this is when we put this one to bed yeah um it's a film of ambition so to speak it's worth seeing yeah, yeah um i think uh your mileage will obviously vary depending on yeah. um your your take on the material it'll be a divisive film but um if 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 um explicit scenes or whatever although I, there's not as many as perhaps it feels like there are yeah. but if you, yeah if you if full frontal nudity and and um ex- some explicit sexual content um really is not your bag then probably <laughs> you want to think twice about going yeah this. yeah but um technically it's brilliant like excellently shot framed there's some there's some there's a few wicked kind of little sequences in there um yeah um but yeah no i mean and i think there, there's there's a couple scenes i mean there's there's a date scene in a restaurant as well mm. um and there's these scenes where where i didn't feel the overall burden of yeah yeah the the arc of this is a person with addiction. Their life is miserable. We're going to tell you all about it. Yeah, when, yeah. when it when it let that out for a bit and just let life unfold, yeah. that I was like, wow, I really, you know, there there there's talent. There's you know, these actors are playing interestingly off yeah, each yeah. other. Um, it's interestingly staged. The camera movements are fascinating. Mm. That that incredible 
slow zoom in the restaurant with the little mm. tilt ups whenever yeah, the waiter yeah. shows up to interrupt their attempts at an intimacy. Um, brilliant moments, but um, I, I, I just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if there's a way to make that film that would have made me happier if that's just a personal issue with the film. But either, <laughs> but I, I mean, some people have compared it to Sleeping Beauty, which is my favorite film of last year, which yeah, is yeah, another yeah. film. But uh, fundamentally, uh, Sleeping Beauty was less about that kind of relentless judgment about sex to yeah. me than yeah. this film was. So. Oh, well. Anyway, so uh, a divided house on that one. Um, you've got the best and worst viewpoints <laughs> on it. Should we mention those awards from yesterday? Ah, uh, why not? Just briefly. Did you watch them? Uh, I watched a portion of them. Do you feel good about yourself for doing that? Uh. <laughs> Have I revealed my bias? <laughs> I got the positive stuff out of the front with the uh, uh, horror movies. So. Uh, I, 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 I like to have a look in on 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 these things, but. I you know I don't find them to be particularly important. Um, I I would I found this year's group of nominees quite lackluster um, in terms of the films picked. Um, I'm sure there's some good films in there, but they just don't sort of particularly appeal to me. Whereas uh, in uh, recent years, I've I thought there were some better better films in there from from my perspective. Yeah. Um, like I I really dug Hurt Locker and stuff like that. Um, I thought, like that was just last year where there's like District Nine and Inglorious Bastards yeah, yeah. and Up and yeah, a Serious Man. I, I mean, yeah. those are four four films I really enjoy. Yeah. And, Whereas uh, this year, there's just not a lot that I'm particularly enamored with. the The ceremony itself to me was a bit lackluster as well. Um, fantastic to see Brett McKenzie pick up the uh, <laughs> the uh, you know best original song or what have you. But even though there was only two. Nominated yeah. category, <laughs> and he was he was really good. Uh, that was great. Good. It was a perfect time for National to put out their uh, new welfare policy when everybody was busy yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah. I love the fact that even David Shearer was too busy tweeting, tweeting about Brett McKenzie to mention that you know we're going to have our uh, welfare policy gutted. So yeah. good work there, John. Yeah. Keep reaching for that rainbow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm obviously a bit bitter about this, <laughs> um, and here, here's the thing: is that if it was just an award show and it was just a thing. That people did a silly thing. That's fine. And a lot. I heard someone say once, it's like, oh, it's like the gay Super Bowl. You know, we get to uh, <laughs> watch watch you know fashion and stuff. Yeah. And and if that was all the import that it had, that wouldn't bother me. Yeah. But what it does on a number of levels. I mean, in terms of distribution, for instance. Yeah. There's so many films that get held back, and then don't get the Oscar attention that they hope for, and then get kind of flush down the toilet or these really yeah. cursory runs and that that creates a real weird ecosystem for yeah, you know for the survival of good films. films you know we don't yeah. we don't get that consistent run of quality product throughout the year we get this weird rush of it and not not even necessarily saying that everything that's oscar and that seems, it seemed to me that that quality. was more noticeable this year than in some other years in some years uh, maybe I mean I, I've, I've noticed it in quite a few years I mean last year I think was an exception where there was a lot of summer yeah. uh, titles but like Crash I remember didn't come out till a month or two after it won the Best Picture Oscar which as far as I'm concerned it could have waited even longer <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think on the one side you have all these films like films like We Need to Talk About Kevin Shane yeah. Um, young adult, which came and went in a flash, and I didn't see, so I don't have a strong no I didn't opinion. See. Yeah, lot, lots of people didn't. And then on the other side, you have the artist, and 
um, you know, I've seen the artist and I really like the artist, but it has become probably not as bad as the Holocaust, but certainly worse than say, you know, Vietnam internment camps for a lot of uh, Oscar bloggers in terms of what it is. And and I just can't imagine a universe in that where that wasn't, you know, the Harvey Weinstein film that was mooted for Best Picture. Anyone yeah, actually yeah. getting viscerally angry about that film, it, it doesn't represent the entirety of silent filmmaking. Yes, it's not necessarily the hardest hitting film that you'll see, but yeah, I'm not known for my uh, sentimental streak, and I, you know, I had a good time. Maybe it's just that we just need to push this to its logical end and have Harvey Weinstein decide that he really wants to prove how much power he has and put out like a six-hour Filipino movie called Century of Birthing or something and be, <laughs> be like, you know, I, this is going to win the Oscars this year, and then he'll win that. And then people will be like talking about how the Oscars went for the safe choice by choosing the six-hour Filipino movie because a black, a black and white silent 1331 film by a French director with a French star was apparently very safe. And I mean, even by talking about it now, we're just putting oxygen into this thing. Yeah. I th someone put it quite adroitly. It's like totally the, the difference between, say, the Super Bowl and the Oscars is that sport is a competition and art isn't. And in sport, you have this narrative that ends with a culminating event and says, okay, we're done. We can move on. Well, yeah. And there's there's no point three months later where you're like, actually, hold on, we need to go back and look at the Miami Dolphins and yeah, see, yeah. you know, they were really underappreciated. It's like, no, they didn't win the Super Bowl, they had their chance. But, you know, there's all these other films that are sort of wiped out by this overarching mm. history. And if you look at other awards, I've mentioned the Scandies before, which is a yeah. uh, critical poll. And, like, I was just looking at their top five films for this year. It was, like, Certified Copy, Tree of Life, uh, Margaret, House of Tolerance, I think maybe Melancholia, and then, you know, if you were to extend it out to nine, there was going to be Drive and Uncle yeah. Booed Me. Yeah. And, and, and those films, like, I mean, I don't love all of those films. Some of them I would be hard-pressed to say I even liked, but I had, you know, I mm. think that they're the sort of films that are worth arguing about and yeah, worth, yeah. you know, digging into yeah, and yeah. saying that th those are great films. And, I mean, I'm not... I'm not saying everyone else should like that. I'm not saying anyone should even give a shit about those films per se. But I think I think the phrase that gets my goat is the that film deserved an Oscar, or you know, <laughs> as if that's the highest thing. It's like, did Drive really deserve for a bunch of 66 year old white guys in LA to say that that's the best picture? I mean, I, I think Drive was a better picture than many of the films that I've seen yeah. that were nominated. Yeah. And I suspect many of the films I haven't seen that were nominated. Really? You know, it didn't have yeah. a horse in it, so... <laughs> yeah, it's no war horse, so, you know... Controversial statement! <laughs> no, no, it's not controversial. There are no horses in drive. <laughs> um, sorry, so, so that was a long rant. You can feel free to like say that I'm full of crap now. I mean, I do enjoy watching some aspects of it uh, in terms of uh, Hollywood stuff, but yeah, I, I really agree with um, large... Um, portions of nominated films as being the best. Uh, hence how, you know, our top five look nothing like Oscar nomination. Yeah. Um, but uh, I saw a quote from Meryl Streep, I think. But, oh, I can't remember, even remember the film it was about now, but it was about one of the, the less kind of popular, more... Margaret, kind of, I think. Uh, it was yeah, about Margaret. Margaret. Yeah, it was yeah. about Anna Paquin. In any other year, she would have won the Oscar. And I was thinking... Well, I understand the sentiment behind that comment. You're saying that 
that was a really good performance that you think was worthy of of recognition. <laughs> that was almost as good as mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I was thinking, but the statement is untrue in that yeah. no, in any other year, it probably wouldn't have got an Oscar because that's not what the Oscars are about. Yeah. Like you say, it's a bunch of older white gentlemen making decisions about sure. what the best film is on, on the whole. And that's fine. I don't have a problem yeah, with a bunch yeah. of old white guys sitting around and saying... This is what I know, like. I'm going to be an old white guy someday, you know. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, I want to sit around with my old white friends, and you know, and they, and you know, maybe I'll have some other non-white friends. It could, it, I, you know, we'll see what happens. But you know, if it turns out that we're all white and we make a decision, you know, I, I, I don't want to hate myself for that. <laughs> but but it, it's just. Um, I made a joke on Twitter that was like, oh, it's only 365 days now to the Oscar speculation for yeah. next year. And apparently they were already doing that, you know? And it's like, no, c- can we just stop and, and take a break and remember yeah. that it's it's all it's all about you and the movie and the lights off and what you feel about it. Yeah. And that that's the thing. It doesn't really bother me anymore that whatever films that I love haven't won Oscars, you mm. know? It's, yeah. um, and the extent to which I do care is it's great when something I love that has felt underappreciated gets that, and then they and get, then it gets get the extra... Yeah, yeah. It, get, it gets the extra money. Uh, but on the whole, I'd rather the system didn't work that way at all, yeah, and that, yeah. the, that it was just like... It was one of many, um, you know, awards for people to consider and evaluate, yeah. and anyway. All right, shall we move on from... Yeah. Well, and so one of the reasons that I was um, sad too is obviously like there's you know the Grammys a couple of weeks ago where Whitney Houston had died. Yeah. On the day or the day before, and um, I don't really want to get into that on any level. No. But um, the day of the Oscars, um, uh, a Swedish actor, Erwin Josephson, passed away, who is probably nothing resembling a household name. No. To most people, but... Um, but quite prolific. Yeah, well, he worked with uh, Philip Kaufman on Unbearable Whiteness of Being, with Andre Tarkovsky on Nostalgia and the Nostalgia, Sacrifice, yeah, the and for, I think, five or six decades with Ingmar Bergman in the film mm. that I would have... I was at work, so I couldn't say I'm not watching the Oscars and watching scenes from a marriage instead. <laughs> but if I, if I had been home <laughs> and able to take those three hours, I probably would have watched uh, scenes from a marriage, which is an amazing film and one of the best Bergman, easily my favorite Bergman yeah. thing. Um, I have actually haven't seen the three-hour movie cut down. I've only seen the six one-hour oh, TV series great. version. Yeah. Um, and it works great as a TV series because each one-hour is kind of a slice of the relationship at that point. Yeah. And so they're stand- standalone scenes almost, pretty yeah. much. And the nuances that uh, Josephson gets out of that character over the course of six hours, this character that you love and then learn to hate and then pity and then feel some measure of empathy for over this time is um is stunning and it's I I mean I didn't watch the Oscars so I don't know if he was mentioned or not, but I'm kind of assuming that nobody on the red carpet uh mentioned him or nobody who gave a speech said, you know, this Legend passed away. I can't remember today, um, and that made me sad. He was a, he was very old, and you know I I, was, I don't think he'd acted for several years, and uh-huh. um, I don't think the world's been deprived of more of his performances. And I know nothing of his personal life, so hopefully he was um, content there. But 
Yeah. So on that depressing note, um, what are we going to, I think we're just about to wrap up, you know, and it's not even like the four hour mark yet. No. So I think we're actually going to try to get another one of these out in time for the upcoming World Cinema Showcase. Yeah. Yeah. If we can, we'll, uh, we'll do maybe a bit of a preview or, or possibly mid mid run. Yeah, well, if we can get a preview, that'd be great. That'd I know that, cool. I mean, I've seen already at brother, which has <clears throat> been booked. Um, and, uh, we can, t- I can talk a bit about that and, uh, well, hopefully in a couple of days, the rest Which of the titles will be Our Idiot Brother, the oh, um, Jesse Peretz film starring yep. Paul Rude. And also, uh, Auckland Film Society starts on Monday. Uh, um, depending on when I get this out, it might have been last Monday. What was but, coming um, up uh, early on? Uh, actually, that's a good thing to talk about, because the first film is The Asphalt Jungle, um, John Huston, yep. uh, black and white classic. Uh, the second film is The Consequences of Love. Which What's that? I don't know it. It's one of my favorite films of the 2000s. It's by a director named Paolo Sorrentino, whose uh, most recent film is called This Must Be the Place and played at Cannes last year with Sean Penn and uh, Francis McDormand in it. Um, But uh, add to much critical derision. But uh, (laughs) Consequences of Love played at the Italian Film Festival, I think in 2005 or something like that. It's a stunning, stunning film. He's He's a very strong, formal director the lead character is um an italian living in switzerland who handles uh some accounting matters for the mafia there and is living at this hotel in this very sort of circumscribed life so it's this weird mix of kind of a goodfellas-y kind of mob film through the lens of a character study of a um older man and just, but it's I, I just, can't, yeah, it's, it's great. And, and it's, it's the sort of film that really benefits so much from the big screen. The first, the first shot, which the titles play over lasts for three or four minutes. And I, I don't normally talk in movies, but I, um, turned to the person I was with when I was watching it halfway through. And I said, I already love this movie in, in a time where people don't know how to use controlled camera movements and tripods. He'll do lots of interesting stuff with camera motion, like controlled movements up and around suitcases and things and yeah. long follow shots. Um, I kind of, I kind of all Scorsese. I was going to say Danny Boyle, but that's, he, he can be a little too um, chaotic yeah. for that example. But in, in a time where it was sort of the, a lot of the hip movements in filmmaking are either the very handheld or the static lock-off shot. Mm. Um, he's doing these very bold, very precise moves. Mm. And uh, the film just is terrifically entertaining as well. It's not a formalist set piece that will bore a normal person yeah, to death. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know, I love those. But, <laughs> but yeah, Consequences of Love, get yourself to the Film Society for, even if you can't make all the films this year, that's one that... Where do people you need to go? Yourself. Uh, I believe it's at the Rialto at, uh, Cinema in Auckland at Mondays at 6.30. Yeah. Um, so get there early if you're going there so you can get your membership forms filled out. And hopefully I'll see you there. So see until you. next time. Yeah, until uh, next time.